and welcome to the Bureau Asia podcast. I'm Matt Cowan, the Bureau Chief and your host. Thank you for listening in. Last episode, we dialed in hospitality chief and Saigon-based foodie, Chris Thompson, to fill us in on all the hospitality news in Vietnam and the region. He was just back from the Asia's 50 Best Restaurants Awards in Singapore and helped us understand why it might be that Vietnam has only one entrant, Anang Saigon, in the coveted top 50 list for 2023. It makes for some interesting listening, so if you haven't listened to it yet, give it a listen after this. This week on the Bureau Asia's social media channels was a relatively quiet one compared with the usual. It must have been a pretty slow news week, but we still managed to find some engagement. Somehow, I came across this listicle online. Six things Vietnam does better than Australia, put together by a young chap called James Booth, who's part of the team from escape.com.au, which is both an online and offline publication, which can be found as a lift out in Sunday and Tuesday's News Corp papers in Australia. News Corp, of course, was founded by Rupert Murdoch and owns media assets in Australia, the likes of Fox, Sky News, The Australian, news.com.au, The Courier Mail in Brisbane, The Herald Sun in Melbourne, and The Daily Telegraph in Sydney, just as an example, including 69% of the Brisbane Broncos rugby league team. Well, there you go. I didn't know that. Anyway, I posted the listicle in the Bureau Asia Facebook group this week, hoping for, at least the Aussies anyway, to bite. And some did. Steve from Saigon, never one to mince words, said, I found the article to be rubbish. In response, AT in Brisbane said, I prefer to read the trashy life section of VN Express. VN Express is a local news website here in Vietnam. And Mark, I'm not quite sure where Mark's from, said, After spending a week in Vietnam, after those words, you just know the deep and nuanced insights are going to gush forth. Anyway, when Mel joins me in a moment, we're going to unpack that article and decide if it's spot on or junk. And then we'll reveal our own six things Vietnam does better than Australia. So hang around for that. If you'd like to ask a question or make a comment, you can do so by scrolling down to the Q&A section below this episode if you're listening on Spotify. Alternatively, pop over to our Facebook group and drop a comment or question there. Just search the Bureau Asia group. We've got over 2,500 members in the group and they're pretty engaged, so you should get a response. Now, on with this episode. we catch up on what's been happening in Vietnam and the region this week. And then I interview the founder of Hanoi-based Blue Dragon Children's Foundation, Michael Brazovsky. Blue Dragon is a grassroots charity that's on a mission to end human trafficking in Vietnam. Since 2004, the NGO has rescued more than 1,000 people from slavery and reunited close to 2,500 children and young adults with their families after trafficking or finding themselves homeless. So don't miss that. And joining me again for this episode is the Bureau Asia's content manager, Melanie Kasul. How are you, Mel? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Hey, um, mm-hmm. no tongue kiss like the Dalai Lama to greet me? No. 
<laughs> that was odd. Maybe he's getting old with age. Okay, cool. Something to look forward to in my twilight years. Oh. Um, I thought even given that it was my birthday weekend uh, last weekend that you mm-hmm. might take the Dalai Lama's lead and give me some kind of creepy greeting at least. Nah, too weird. I'll pass. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyway, my birthday was good. Pretty yeah, relaxed. Happy yeah, it was a relaxing one. 49. One year to go and I think I'll be officially old, which um, it's got me thinking, Mm -hmm. what's the retirement age in Vietnam? Uh, It's different for male and females. Male, (laughs) yeah, male employees, 60 years old and nine months. 60 and nine months. I don't know why there's a... Maybe that's to make up for the nine months in the womb, is it? (laughs) I don't know. Lying around doing nothing (laughs) for the first nine months. But the females is 56. Okay. So good to know I can retire earlier than you. Yeah, apparently. But the only thing is you're not Vietnamese. And the way we're going, we're going to be working till we die anyway. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, yeah, so that's a solid 11 years for me of highly productive work left. And then I can just be unproductive, I guess. Um, (laughs) What are you doing now? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, Anyway, that's another story. But, yeah, had a lovely dinner at La Villa. La Villa French. Oh, is that the full name, is it? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, French restaurant. Mm -hmm. So for you, what was the highlight? Oh, look, for me the highlight was the service. The staff were genuinely nice. Yeah, they were. Yeah, Yeah. they weren't pushy, you know, and they didn't make us feel poor for not ordering (laughs) anything from the champagne and cheese cart. Yeah, nice change not to feel poor. Yeah, And they poured that Heineken beer for you like a pro in bar five (laughs) while wearing their posh five-star hospitality vests. And, you know, for the food that we ate... It's going to be on the Bureau IG, so to find out what we thought of it, just um, okay, nice flick one. through that. Yeah. Yep. But mm-hmm. I've got to ask, yeah. have you actually seen a beer get poured at Bar 5? Duh, yes. Poured in a glass and on other people's heads. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've been living here in Saigon uh, for a while, since 2006. So I've visited all the OG hangouts that are still, you know, up and running. And hey. We should visit the newly reopened Apocalypse Now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that during the week. Yeah. So it just opened earlier this month, complete with (laughs) go-go dancers with QR codes on their chests. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it leads to their OnlyFans page. I don't know, but (laughs) maybe I should have my 50th birthday there, hey? But wait. Who should I invite? All I can say is, did someone say Apo? <laughs> you could think about it as a venue, um, but... Um, I don't know if they still have that garden out back. See, that was... Yeah, uh, with the sausages. Yeah. You know, the famed sausages. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, going back to your 50th, if you were going to have an in, you know, a party there, mm-hmm. it's not... And you're a little bit worried about who you would invite in yeah. terms of... Friends, okay. um, but you know, in Vietnam, it's not entirely unusual to rent 
fake friends for parties in Vietnam. Oh, wow. Um, even fake husbands if you happen to find yourself in a situation <laughs> where you suddenly fall pregnant. I don't think that happens at 50 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so going back to La Villa France, yep. is it? Um, yep. Was the food up to bar five standard though? <laughs> Come on, way better, you know. Um, I don't think jokes though with the French classic steak tartare will be that funny as compared to like the raw things on offer at bar <laughs> oh, five. Get out of it. So anyway, look, the, the food that we ordered, um, it was great. I, I, yeah. would, I would rate it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a rare night out, Mel. <laughs> that was a steak joke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. I got it. Forced laugh, forced laugh, yeah. Hey, um, also last Friday, I went along to the cafe show out here in District 7. There were over 400 vendors apparently, and it was packed with uh, especially young kids in their sort of 20s. Mm. Uh, It also coincided with the cocktail show thing that they had there. So perhaps they were all there for that, but it was good. Great vibe. There was also an accessibility um, showcase there as well. Oh, so there right. were, I yeah. think there were like three events. So. Yeah, I ran into the went into the wrong one. Oh, okay. I went to the smart city. Yeah, that's one it. The accessibility looking for a coffee event. and uh, went into the smart city thing looking dumb. So I, <laughs> I had to register. So when you go to those things, you have to register. Mm-hmm. Um, you fill out an online form. And, and you get an and, ID and printed out, printed right? Out. Yeah. And then, of course, I was going into the wrong one. Right. So it wasn't until I got in there that I realised and I went out, binned that one, and then had to re-register. <gasps> So was the salt coffee trend visible at the coffee show? No, surprisingly. I didn't come across anything that was sort of trendy like that. Oh. you know, there's usually another show towards the end of the year. Okay. And at that one, there tends to be a lot more growers and wholesalers, all that sort of stuff. Um, this one was more, it seemed, for cafe owners, I think, with a bit of uh, a fair bit of flash machinery oh. and nice packaging and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So industrial stuff. Uh. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Um, uh, anything for the home? Yeah, there were there were machines, coffee machines, and stuff like that. So for for the sort of the home enthusiast, all the way up to you know hotels, these, restaurants. Yeah, big, I think there was a a coffee machine there that was worth about $15,000 or something, oh which probably isn't too hard to... How much, uh, what kind of coffee are you supposed to put in well, there? Definitely not you'd Robusta. you wouldn't you? Wow. Yeah. But um, yeah, there was plenty there for, for our house, um, but I didn't really sort of dwell on the price tags okay. too much. I'm pretty happy with our old French press. Yeah, this thing, we actually bought it from Starbucks. Oh. Like five years ago. Oh, it's at le- must be at least five years. Yeah. yeah, crazy. Yeah, the best it? thing to come out of Starbucks for a while. <laughs> um, and just finally, something for travellers who might be listening, the new street food market has opened up on Namki Koenier Street opposite the Reunification Palace. Oh, wow. Wait, is it before or after Leiduan, the uh, intersection? It's... Before, well, it depends where you're uh, coming but from. But it's one way. Yeah. So, so. it's just before on the left-hand okay. side there. All I right. think there's a coffee shop on the corner and then mm. further on there's a, there's a Starbucks and the museum. But, yeah, if you come back, 
yeah, towards a reunification palace. Wow. I can't remember what used to be there, but there used to be a um like a fine dining oh, did place oh. uh with wine and uh, okay. kind of like an outdoor al fresco type oh, in right. the old building. Okay. Remember there was this old building there? Oh no, I think you're thinking of that one closer up to um What's the name? Windows of Bar. It used further to be along. Windows Bar. No, 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 no. Further, further along. I can't remember the ah. name of it. But yeah, it's closer to, is it Les One Street? Uh, I can't remember now. Terrible. Mm. Um, anyway, it's really cool. It used to be the one sort of um, adjacent to Bentan Market. Oh, did they keep the brand name? How do you yeah, know? Yeah, it's called Ben Benier Street Food Market. Okay. And the... Old place closed down, I think, because of COVID. And then, yeah, but then it became some kind of nightclub thing. Ah. And then it caught fire, burnt down. They've rebuilt it already. Mm. But um, in the meantime, this market has moved over to this new location. It's excellent. There's probably about 30 vendors in there. Ooh, that'll be hot. I hope they have some exhaust systems. (laughs) Well, there's plenty of exhaust fumes, thanks to the traffic going by. But Mm. yeah, it's all kind of outdoor and it's got one of those massive retractable roofs. Um, It's actually really good. And I think um, for travellers, especially who are a little bit wary about going full on into the street food scene here and worried mm-hmm. about getting sick. Mm-hmm. This might be a nice little entryway into Plus, Saigon street food. It's a great location, you know, uh, the Unification Palace is there, the park is there, and then yeah. um, what do you call this? Down the road further is the church. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's a great it's a location. location. Big space, mm. really clean. And I, I'm assuming that the licensing is up to scratch as well. So there mm. are inspectors that go around and make sure that it's clean, that it looks clean. And it was, yeah, it was getting busy when I popped in the other day. Um, just to add to that, you know, in terms of licensing, I remember that around Diamond Plaza, F, um, Family Medical Center and the Youth Center, there used to be like this corner where they kind of gentrified street yeah, foods and tents. Yeah, they were trying tents. to do that. Yeah, but it didn't really work, did yeah, it? Yeah, it, it seemed as though it was too forced. Mm, well, why know? would you think this would work? Because that's like just a few meters away it's, from each other. This one is more like a. It's not trying to be a street food venue per se. Mm. It's more like a hawker store. Okay. So a a collection of vendor booths. In rows. Yeah. Ah. Undercover. So it's quite airy. There's Mm -hmm. plenty of space to eat and it's sort of a one-stop shop. Wow. Sounds cool. Can't wait to visit. Well, Mel, usually I lead into this segment with a plethora of unusual tidbits from the news <laughs> during the week. But apart from the Dalai Lama attempting to tongue wrestle a minor in public uh. during a press conference, everything else pales into comparison. Oh, we can always look at news from Vietnam expat Facebook groups. I <laughs> yeah, mean, it true. won't be quote unquote, unusual though, just more of the same. But hey, it's content. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Um But what caught my eye, though, was something I mentioned in the intro, and that was this piece on the Australian travel site escape.com.au. Six things Vietnam does better than Australia. Football! 
Yeah. I don't, well, it depends on what kind of football you're talking about. Not the round ball game. Uh, actually, we do do better in the round yeah. ball game. Now, in the article, author James Booth kicks things off by apologising to Aussies with, mm-hmm. sorry, Australia, our driving, cooking and napping skills are severely lacking compared to Vietnam's. Napping skills? Are you sure this article wasn't a satire? Yeah, the driving bit especially got me. Ah, I mean, look, the cooking, yeah, nah. Yeah, I mean, you don't really cook enough at home for me to say the opposite. Ouch! I do bring home the bacon though, Mel. (laughs) I mean, from the market on the motorbike. (laughs) Anyway, our man James goes on to say, Among many Australians, Vietnam is known for Ha Long Bay, Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh. But there's a whole lot more to Vietnam than that, including a bunch of life skills we Australians suck at. Okay. Okay, Mel, have a crack at what you think we Aussies suck at. Um, skincare? (laughs) I mean, you put on sunscreen, that's a fact. Um, Helps with the missing ozone layer over Australia, I guess. But I think the Vietnamese score big with the ninja lead ladies. Definitely. Yeah. Or bug catchers. I mean, you do have the Australian Open, but do you have those zip-zap tennis rackets, mosquito catchers things? Yeah, no, we don't have those. Those Mm. racket things are a real novelty. I love them. Um, Although, (laughs) when you're eating out and you hear those things zapping away in the kitchen, it doesn't give you confidence (laughs) in their pest control policy, does it? No. Anyway, after spending a whole week in Vietnam, yes... Seven days. Oh my God. James writes that he's become painfully aware of what he calls these blemishes. Mm. He's got the painful bit, right? I knew it. Skincare. <laughs> so he's graciously given us six things Vietnam does better than Australia. Just mm. in case you Aussies listening need something better than this second rate podcast to prep <laughs> you for your visit. I'm all ears. Okay, here's the list. Driving, eating, napping, saunas. Like spa. I don't know. No, I think saunas. Like a happy hour. Uh, I mean, a happy (laughs) ending. Happy hour ending. Living in the moment and egg coffee. Is it vegan egg? Is that actually possible? I'm not sure, but still comes out of a chicken's bum, though, doesn't it? I don't know. Even yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Let me just read out a couple of quotes from the article. This is a piss take. On driving, he said, though Australians also like to spout cliches like there are no road rules in Southeast Asia and act like our driving system is inherently better, I'd say learning to drive in Vietnam would actually make you a much more understanding and more attentive driver. Making you a lawbreaker more likely. (laughs) Okay. On eating, he said, from my own experience, okay. I noticed that even though I was on a seven-day experience food trip, okay. feasting three times a day because the food mm. was so fresh and wholesome, I felt better and healthier than ever. Eh, wrong. <laughs> I mean, you should school this millennial. He's I'll one, throw right? in the buzzer there too. Okay. About the dangers of Vietnamese fried and processed food. Yeah, I don't know if he's millennial. I don't know okay. at all. Um, all right. But I do have a good. Uh, podcast episode on oh, my other that's right. channel mm. about how unhealthy Vietnamese food is. is. That's uh, right. Yeah, so go and check that out. I'll leave a link in the description of mm. this one. 
And lastly, on napping, he said, while Aussies whine about the fact that our business class seat is an inch off fully flat, mm-hmm. in Vietnam, people appear to be comfortable taking a lie down everywhere from the seat of their moped to across chairs, church benches, buggy seats, and of course, hammocks. <sighs> What's the publication again? I think the editor needs to hire new writers. It's not too bad for seven days okay. uh, in our trip, but I'm beginning to think it was written by AI because... <laughs> I haven't heard of travel writers <laughs> travelling business class in years. True. This one hasn't anyway. So anyway, what I think we should do quickly is list our own six things okay. Vietnam does better than Australia. Surely we can put our almost 30 years mm. of lived experience in Vietnam to some actual good use. Okay, okay. Um, okay, first one. Uh, karaoke. Okay, that's debatable because there have actually been murders <laughs> recently okay. uh, among neighbours when singers have refused to drop the mic when asked to shut the fuck uh, up at night. Yeah, it causes murders, okay. karaoke, so I'm not too sure whether they do that better. Okay, oh, okay here, here. <laughs> Maybe knocking off no neighbours is, okay. is they do better. Okay, how about this? Picking up from our convo about Bar 5 and Apple, how about... Promo girls, <laughs> wait staff, beer pouring Commonly skills. Commonly known as PGs. PGs, yeah. Yes, a big fan, great service. Me too, I, I like, like it. Definitely agree, 100%. And lately their uniforms have become more sporty, you know, so if you were a female getting yeah. poured a beer at these places, yeah. it, it doesn't feel as yeah. offensive. Yeah. yeah. Offen- what do you mean offensive? <laughs> I think it's as more- a female. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. Ah, right. Yeah. And yeah. I, I imagine there's probably less groping as yeah. well. When she's, yeah. Because uh, they look sporty. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Next one. Oh, oh my God. All right. Oh, nine. Oh, talent oh, marketing. Yeah. Good one. And YouTube ads. They do do that better. Yeah. I'm not oh, they sh- do this. Check this out. Do you want that extra money? <laughs> Are you. Do you live in Vietnam? Do you want a passive income? <laughs> yeah. Oh dear, we're going to lose a lot of our Vietnamese listeners, Mel, if we keep carrying on like that. But yeah, you're right. Um, I'm not too sure if there are laws in place. There there are, yeah. Yeah, but Vietnam is full of laws. It's just a matter (laughs) of not whether they get police. But yeah, they managed to pull these ads off with seemingly no budget and it's (laughs) outstanding. And Oh, and the location. The location is like this this Vietnamese woman, for example, and she's walking in a garden and then suddenly it pans out and it looks like she's in the Swiss Alps. (laughs) You know, passive income. Well, that's the lab. Okay. um, What what are we, number four? Yep. Okay. What do you got? Balance. Babies on bikes, dogs on bikes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. one-handed food delivery hey, with tray that, bowls. That one-handed food delivery is yeah. pretty special. I'm impressed with that. Yeah, I, at the market last Sunday. Yeah, I, we saw You never a few. actually see any that go down. No. To there must be some though. But and it, they make those sharp turns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, now I know where those twins got their skills oh, from. You yeah. know those, those acrobatic, acrobatic twins, yeah. the ones who do the handstands That's and right, walk upstairs? That's right, with no shirts, right? Yeah, yeah, no shirts. Okay. <laughs> okay, number five. Yeah, what do you got? Um, 
airport fashion? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Vietnamese <laughs> love to get dressed up to fly, don't they? They do. Yeah, like the with helmets. helmets. Checking in, yep. big fluffy hats. Yeah. Yep. Um, I've also seen leopard print jumpsuits. Oh, and high heels. Yeah. Like they have these, you know, they max out their 7 kg carry-on yep. bags and then they just, yep. you know, lug them with high heels, stilettos even. Yep. That's crazy. Full blue denim suits mm. and uh, more fake Gucci accessories than at Bentan Market. Ah, that's right. You see a lot right. of that going around at the uh, it's Two for one, the luggage and the handbag. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you'll see this at any time of the day at the airport. It's not just, yeah. you know, happy hour times. Yeah. It's like 5.30 in the morning. Oh, fully made up, up as oh, well yeah. with yeah. their lashes and everything. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, I don't know how they get the, the rate that, what do you call it? The x-ray machine. <laughs> Since we're at the airport already, let's round it off with number six, bureaucracy. Definitely. Um, if there was an Olympics for red stamping <laughs> documents, then the Vietnamese would probably lead the medal. Without talent. looking, without looking at yeah. you, well, without looking at the document. Yeah, and then... On the dais, the mm. officials would hand out those medals and look away <laughs> with a smacking of the gums. And what I really find so, like, so perfect is when you have, like, a multi-page document and then you have to sift through the fingers so every edge of the paper oh, yeah. is seen uh, so that when you stamp that uh, baby up, each little page at the corner will have the red stamp. Yeah. Look, if we had that in Australia, wow. it'd be just like, oh, she'll be right, mate. Just, yeah, just put a stamp yeah, nah. there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nah, mate. <laughs> but here it's now. No, no, no. We got to stamp that. Okay, history buffs will like this one. The former house of Alexander Yerson has been granted national <gasps> relic status. Wow, that sounds like a fashion brand, the house of Yerson. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get some G&Ts and cheers to that. Hey, nice connection there, Mel. I see what you did. Yeah. Yerson attempted to acclimatise the quinine tree in Vietnam, but I'm not sure if it was so he could have it in his tonic at happy hour, though. <laughs> was the quinine tree in Quinon? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it didn't work. He had it in the wrong location. Yeah. How old is it? It'd be. I mean, what, if it wasn't. The wasn't tree? No, the house. Like, oh. you know, another metaphor. I don't know if it's a metaphor, a pun. Yeah. It'll be like a Petri dish there, right? <laughs> Hope they clean it well, especially. Will it be open to the public? Well, it was a lab. It was, oh. yeah, and open to the public. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, um, surely no germier than a single expat's bedroom in Saigon at the end of a big weekend, Mel. <laughs> is it? Not um, that I'd know. <laughs> I don't know. Is it a, um, what's that? Self-service apartment? Yeah. Or like service apartment? <laughs> anyway, this one is less than 20 years old because it's a reconstruction. Uh, now, I don't know what happened to the original, which so was built. So it's not vintage House of Yersin. It's the, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's yeah. the fact. Fast yeah, fashion yeah. house of Yersin. The original was built back in 1914 on the peak of Honbar Mountain, about 45 kilometres southwest of Nha Chiang. Mm. Originally, it was built as a research laboratory. Of course, Yersin is known as the co-discoverer of the bacteria responsible for the bu bubonic plague which he discovered in 1894. Mm. And visitors to Nha Chang can visit the Alexander Yersin Museum on Chan Phu Street, 
that runs along the main beach, which was originally his house. Wow, that's yeah. like a house of horrors right there. <laughs> a a house of what? Hor- horrors. Okay. That's where the plague was. I thought you said something else there. Oh. <laughs> now, a couple of other interesting quirks about this man, Mel. Mm-hmm. Rubber. Oh. Yeah, he introduced the rubber tree in Vietnam. Oh, so I thought he introduced the rubber. I don't think the rubber was invented at oh, that okay. point. Yeah, I don't think right. so. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe that was the reason behind why he wanted to import the rubber. I don't know, but um, to stop the plague, to stop things, a yes. different kind of yes. plague. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So he introduced the rubber tree here. So the next time you see a rubber plantation, spare a thought for Alexander. Also, he's credited for founding the site for the construction of Dalat in 1893. So this guy, this guy got shit done. He must be the most celebrated male foreign scientist here in Vietnam, with Marie Curie as the famous female one. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a street named after her? There's a school, like the school for the gifted, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he definitely wasn't a content creator, was he? He got shit done and, you know, he did worthwhile stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, listeners may be familiar with Yerson Market and Yerson Street that was named after him in District Mm 1, along with a street up in Nha Chang. Mm. Now, when he died at his home in Nha Chang... Retirement home in in Nha Chang? In 1943, he was placed in a tomb... And okay. has his own pagoda on Honbar Mountain. Oh. And after the war, when 99.999999% of street <laughs> names were changed in the south, okay. the streets named in his honour kept their designation. Wow. Yeah, he's also affectionately referred to as Ong Nam, the fifth uncle by the Vietnamese people. Who are the other four? Oh, you've got me there. Well, the number one uncle would be Ho Chi Minh. Yeah, of course, Chu Minh. Um, Probably General Zap would be another one. Uh And the other two. um, Oh, that's a toss-up. That'll be for the next episode, I think. Yeah. Um, Maybe Lennon. And I don't know. I'm not too sure. Yeah, good one. I'll check it out. I'll hit the books. Cool. And keeping with the French, well, kind of, theme Mel. Okay. A French woman of Vietnamese descent has given birth to a baby. Ah! I'll take your word for that. Okay. Um, I'm just thinking, when I said to a baby, it kind of sounded a bit weird, didn't it? Like, like it was a surprise that she gave birth to a human baby. Okay, I'll, anyway. wait, I'll wait for the details of this story. Anyway, yeah. uh, now I'm sure there have been plenty of babies born over the years with French heritage, both legitimately and illegitimately, <clears throat> uh, but this one is even more special. Wait, does it? Eat cheese instead of drinking milk? <laughs> oh God. Okay, uh-huh. now, how can you get away huh? with saying that? Because if this news was about, say, a woman of Filipino descent, okay. and I said something like, has the baby gone straight to solids and eats adobo instead of drinking milk, then I reckon our listeners would drop from 25 to at least down to 20. No! <laughs> Nas Daily. The Filipinos won't jump on you. But wait, let me correct that. A better way to put it though is if the Pinoy baby drinks cocks oh instead of God. milk. I don't know. I think we're going to get demonetized 
Hey, aren't we are demonetized. <laughs> anyway, Marie Chevalier, the mother, is the wife of Louis Ducru. Uh, help du- me with the pronunciation. Ducruet? Yeah, something like that. You don't uh, pronounce the T, right? I don't know. The grandson of Princess Callie of Monaco. Whoa. And she gave birth to a baby girl on April 4, who, as I said, is in line to the throne of Monaco. Wow. Don't know how many are in line, though. There tends to be a long line in the royal families, Mel. <laughs> Just ask Harry. I mean, wait, the Grace Kelly, like know. Oscar winner, fashion icon. <laughs> this is like royal news. To be honest, I didn't wow. really look into it. Now, uh, there's not much we know about this Marie Chevalier, whose middle name is Hua, which means flower in Vietnamese, except that she was born in 1993 to a French father and French mother of Vietnamese heritage. Mm. Apparently, they got married in 2019 and visited here the same year. Interesting. And this is news exactly why? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm not really sure why. It was a slow news week. Okay. All right. So... And I think the story got me interested in the French colonial history of Vietnam, but I guess uh, or maybe we're we're trying to we're trying to uh, drum up um, our own royal news yeah. because you know coronations yeah. Yeah, coming up. I think up. it kind of flowed on from Alexander Yerson, mm. who's that? Who was actually Swiss? Well, <laughs> ooh la la. Mal, I always try to squeeze in a Philippines story each week, and this one has been bubbling along for a little while now. Okay. So 100,000 jeepney drivers went on strike last Mm. month over the government's plans to phase out the unique but heavily polluting form of public transport. That's right. The issue leading to the strike is the mooted PUV modernisation program. They love these titles, which goes way (laughs) back to 2017, which... If implemented, requires drivers to replace diesel jeepneys that are 15 or more years old with newer, cleaner minibuses, in addition to consolidating operators and drivers into cooperatives. Yeah, that's that's going to be hard because the reason why a driver still drives a 15-year-old vehicle is because they can't really afford a new one. Yeah. yeah. And all these co-ops, you know, It sounds very, how do you say, socialist, but the Philippines isn't socialist. It's every man for himself. So even when you put it under the term co-op, you know, there are still some top dogs that are just going to get everything. Yeah. Well, the Land Transportation Franchising and Regulatory Board initially (laughs) declared April 1st to be the last trip for the vehicles in question. (laughs) April Fools. But amid strong opposition, the deadline was moved back to June and then further still to December 31, after Mm -hmm. which non-compliant jeepneys will be banned. Let's wait and see on that one. Allegedly, there are 158,000 traditional jeepneys in the Philippines, while 5,300 modern jeepneys with air conditioning and security cameras Mm -hmm. are already on the road. And um, electric jeepneys too. Yeah, we saw some small ones, didn't we, there? As part of the plan, drivers are required to shoulder the costs of up to 2.8 million pesos or 50,000 US dollars to replace their vehicles, while the government is offering to subsidise just 5.7% of each new vehicle. The jeepney drivers who took part in the strike labelled the program a corporate takeover because implementing modern jeepneys would mean partnering with foreign car makers like Toyota, Hyundai and Mitsubishi. Well, yeah, because the top two companies, 
family-owned businesses that used to make jeepneys, Sarau and Francisco Motors, both of which I personally know people who are who belong to those well, families. Sarau's in Las Piñas. Yes, Isn't and it? both of them are from Las Piñas. Um, they don't make it anymore, and they've actually stopped um, making them. I mean, the workshop, the Sarau workshop is still there. Yep. Um, but the Francisco Motors, it's yep. it's it's not existing anymore. We saw the Pope Mobile, remember? Uh, yes. So if anyone's interested, I've got a <laughs> made by Francisco Motors. Yes, that's yeah, right. I put out a reel in the Las Piñas Land yeah, Transportation the when, Office. When the Pope Came to the Philippines in, in 95. 95? think so. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, and just for listeners who don't know what jeepneys are, we've been talking about these mm. things. Uh, they originated at the end of World War II when jeeps were left behind by the US Army and they were repurposed and converted into public minibuses of sorts. Uh, longer wheelbases were added so that up to 25 or 30 people at a time can ride them. Uh, think sardines can on wheels mm. and remain the cheapest and most common form of public transport in the Philippines. Yep. They get their name from the Jitney bus in the States. Jitney was apparently slang for nickel, which was the cost to ride them. Ah, uh, look, it's again, another it's saga. another saga. It's the, it's the new versus the old where does tradition and modernity, you know, like um, intersect? And again, at the end of the day, it's the people that lose. And finally, some weather news. I feel like we need to cue the stinger. You may be considering a visit to Vietnam. Well, I can tell you the rainy season appears to be upon us. It's been stifling for Mm. the past couple of weeks. And just last weekend, we had the biggest downpour since last year's rainy season. You know, I've been looking online because I wanted to give you a barometer for your birthday, <laughs> but I just ended up... A rain um, gauge? Yeah, that's... Yeah. It, no, sorry. What's a barometer? Uh, no, a barometer would be all right. It, yeah, yeah. it sort of uh, tells you about the air yeah, But you keep on talking about, I want a rain gauge. I want to put it yeah. outside our balcony. Well, okay. All right. Let me change. I want a Porsche. <laughs> That's available in Lazada. Okay, all right. So, you know, Porsche or rain gauge? Which one? Okay, are you rain gauge. Take? All, all right. right. I don't ask for much. Okay. But having said that, a recent article in the news here told us to expect higher temperatures this year with fewer storms due to it being an El Nino year. Yep. It is menopause year as well for oh, me. God. Oh, so it's going to be a drought in mm-hmm. more than one place. Yep. Uh, they're saying temperatures will be one degree Celsius hotter than usual from now till June, with plenty of heat waves expected up and down the country for longer periods of time. Yeah, just stay hydrated, guys, and come on. I mean, I know we take a dig at all the ninja leads, yep. but maybe if there's any season to be a ninja lead, you can start right now. Well, make sure you go to our Q&A section at the bottom of this uh, episode, and um, I'll ask whether or not you think Mel should dress up as a ninja lead, and um, you know, if you all say yes, 
I'll take we'll a photo. We'll get it to do it and take a photo and we'll post it on our social media. Why not? At the Bureau Asia. Now, just to wrap this up, I should have got you to do this weather segment because you used to read the weather on the radio. No, right? traffic. Oh, traffic. Yeah. Oh, oh, we need to do a traffic segment. <laughs> and I'll do the fake chopper sound I used in the to background. be a traffic reader. Kiss what? Jazz 101. <laughs> well, now let's wrap this up. Well, the impact of El Nino will likely bring fewer typhoons this year, which is great. The downside will be drought in the northern and central regions. Yeah. And I suspect in the southern regions as well. The Mekong's really copying it. Mm -hmm. It's either flooding or it's bone dry. Yeah. Climate change, it's real. recent episode, we raised the amazing work Hanoi-based charity Blue Dragon has been doing for the past two decades around slavery and human trafficking. And it was a comment in our Facebook group that prompted me to reach out to Australian co-founder of Blue Dragon, Michael Brozovsky. A Vietnamese member of the group, quite rightly, asked if it would be more beneficial to offer ideas on how to address the situation of the thousands of young children and adults, mostly female, in Vietnam being trafficked here each year, rather than simply repeating or revisiting the problem without any answers. So off the back of that comment, I reached out to Michael, who it turns out was more than happy to take my call and to talk about the challenges his charity faces to alleviate slavery and human trafficking in Vietnam. Hi, Michael. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, It's great to be here. Really happy to talk. Thanks so much. Okay, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. You're pretty busy. So let's get straight into it. Just how prevalent is human trafficking in Vietnam? So so there's the big question. You're actually asking me the the question that everyone asks, and it's the most difficult to answer. Um, and, and I'll explain why. It's actually really important to understand. So Blue Dragon, we're dealing with human trafficking every day, right? We get calls for help uh, from, from families whose members have been trafficked or, or from people themselves who've been trafficked. Um, you know, in the first few months of this year, we've rescued uh, just over 70 people. Uh, we rescued 220 people just in last year alone. So, like, we're talking... We're talking pretty big numbers because we're just one organization dealing with this. But what's the actual prevalence? No one really knows. There's no hard data on, on this. And, and it's because so much trafficking happens that never even gets reported. So even with the people who we rescue, and, and you know over the years we've rescued more than 1,300 people, a lot of them have not even been officially recognized as having been trafficked maybe because they didn't want to report to the police uh, or maybe because they didn't have um, sort of the evidence that they were trafficked. And, and so the result of that is that no one can really say how many people have been trafficked. But I will say we're talking in the tens of thousands. 
Um, right now, there are tens of thousands of Vietnamese people uh, in slavery conditions in uh, in this region. Some here in Vietnam, but but quite a lot in Cambodia, in Myanmar, uh, in China, and and you know it's because because people have vulnerability to you know they, they are looking for economic opportunities. They uh, they they don't have jobs close to home, or, or they have some family crisis, and you know they go out looking for an opportunity, or for or somebody comes along and offers them a job. Uh, and and they fall trapped to, to being trafficked. So I don't have an easy answer to how prevalent it is, where we are working on that. Um, but in the meantime, we're rescuing people who call for help, and, and we're working especially in those hotspots where, where trafficking happens the most. And where are those hotspots in Vietnam? Um, it, it's, worth, it's worth mentioning that people in every province get trafficked. Right. So, so it's not like it's in some areas but not in others, but certain areas that happens more than others. Um, the northern mountainous areas uh, really uh, experience a lot of human trafficking. Um, some of the north central provinces like Nghe An uh, and Ha Ting experience quite a bit of trafficking. And then there are some southern provinces uh, like Bac Liu is one that, that really stands out. So, so they're kind of scattered around and 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 the reason there is, there, there tends trafficking tends to have quite an historical factor to it. So once trafficking begins in one location, it kind of takes hold. Traffickers can see right, you know, in that province or in that district, we can use these tricks to get people to come with us. So more traffickers will go to that location, even though you know the provinces might be similarly poor or have similar problems, trafficking tends to take root in, in certain locations. Uh, and, and so part of the job to end human trafficking is about digging that out, you know, really interrupting, disrupting those, uh, those trafficking routes that, that keep coming back for more people. Are those routes, um, you know, close? Is, is that, is it about geography where they're located, like their proximity to say China? or Cambodia or Laos? Sometimes it is. So we do see a lot of trafficking from people in the northern provinces uh, into China, or at least we did before the border wall was, was built. Uh, there's still, there is still trafficking into China now, but, but China built a fence between the two countries. Uh, that, that changed the shape of trafficking. It hasn't stopped it. It's just changed the shape. Um, but then sometimes, you know, I mean, people, people from very deep south provinces also get trafficked to China. And, and people from very northern provinces are being trafficked now into Cambodia. So some of it is counterintuitive. Sometimes the traffickers actually want to take people from far away. So, you know, they could easily get somebody from, uh, you know, for example, from Hazang province across the border into China. But if they go to a southern province, they know it's harder for the family to go looking for them, and it's harder for the police to conduct a search. So, so sometimes it's counterintuitive. And are they trafficked over land, say in the south, or is it via fishing boat or something like that? It's it's typically over land, right? And and people when they're being trafficked, they generally think that they're going with a friend 
or that they're going for a job. So, you know, we often think of trafficking as about kidnapping, grabbing someone and, and taking, carrying them, you know, in the boot of your car or a long distance. But in Vietnam, it tends to be a deception. And so that means, you know, people will get on a bus quite willingly because they think they're going uh, for a job in a wow. restaurant in northern Vietnam. Or, yeah, so, um, so that makes it easy to take people overland. So presumably people who get trafficked, perhaps, do they, are they more likely to be living in poverty? Yeah, yeah. Right. In fact, in Vietnam, poverty is one of the key factors, but it's not the only one. Um, by far, most people who are trafficked belong to ethnic minority groups. Right. And, and within, I mean, Vietnam has, has many ethnic minority communities. And, and some are more vulnerable than others. The Hmong population, for example, is vastly overrepresented as a proportion of the population. Um, and that's be- it is because they're the most economically disadvantaged. Right. But there are other factors too, like where they live. You know, they live in remote, high northern mountain regions. There are not many opportunities there. There are not many government services there. So, so poverty is a big part of it, but, but it's not the only part. And, and sometimes even, you know, we've rescued people for who you could call middle-class people. We rescued a journalist once wow. from, from bride trafficking. So anyone can fall victim to it, but obviously certain things make you more vulnerable. Poverty, being part of an ethnic minority community, they, they really increase your risk of being trafficked. So in that case then, because this sort of leads into my second question, and it was about poverty. So is stopping or being able to stop human traffic, trafficking as simple as eradicating poverty? Um, <laughs> yes and no. Right. Yes and no. That's part of the equation. And it's a really, really key part of the equation. Um, but again, there's a, there is more to it. So if, if instead of thinking about poverty, if we think about it as opportunity, Families want opportunities to earn an income, uh, to send their kids to school, to, to take family members to the hospital when they're sick. They don't need to be rich to have those things. And, you know, when you, when you travel out from the cities of Vietnam where we have, you know, high rises and, and the roads are packed with, with uh, SUVs, people may look poor, but as long as they have opportunity to have some income, to send their kids to school, then, then generally their risk of being trafficked is fairly low. So, so what's really needed to stop it is looking at a village or looking at an area where trafficking happens, saying what are the opportunities here that people need. So they may be, they may, it may mean having kids in school. Uh, it may mean having government officials who, who recognises what to do about trafficking and know and you know have the skills to uh, to interrupt it. So poverty, yeah, poverty is a, a significant dimension. But even as Vietnam gets wealthier, trafficking will still be a problem unless we look at it in a more comprehensive way. So what kind of um, enticements are people being given to? traffic someone from Vietnam? Well, the, the trafficking operations work in, in different ways. Think of trafficking as a business. 
and and you've got multinational companies as well as small mum and dad operations, right? Trafficking is like that. So some trafficking rings will operate where members of the gang are coming into Vietnam uh, and meeting people here and, and taking them uh, across the border, maybe into China or, or into Myanmar. And as part of that big ring, you know, they might be earning $5,000 or $10,000. Right. Another way that these, uh, that these trafficking businesses might work is that they might outsource part of it. So, for example, we've rescued people who were trafficked by kind of local guys who, who were simply told by someone they met, they, they were told, look, if you can bring a woman to me, uh, I'll, I'll give you $50. Right. And, you know, this guy, he is a trafficker, but it might be the first time he's ever done it. He might not fully understand what he's done. And and he gets fifty dollars. It's almost like just Sometimes a quick a quick buck to you know, to get there on the he, spot. Yeah. And and sometimes these are the guys who are most likely to get arrested and caught. So there's quite a bit of information coming through the uh, prosecution system about these kind of low level traffickers. Sometimes they don't even get paid anything. They get ripped off by by the bigger trafficking ring. You know, some, sometimes they have operated just in blind ignorance, not understanding what they're doing. Yeah, it adds to the complexity of dealing with. Do family members get involved in trafficking? Not a whole lot. Um, it is one of the common ideas that family members traffic their, their own relatives. And it does happen sometimes. But in Vietnam, when we don't actually see it very much at all. The family unit here is fairly strong, and and people generally look after their their family members. Um, there's been a few cases that we've dealt with where a mother might have been involved or or a distant relative, but even in some of those cases, the the typical scenario for for example, we were dealing with a, a case just this week where a mother was involved in in trafficking her own daughter. And, you know, the mother had never been to school. Mum had no idea about the law. She didn't really understand what was going to happen to the daughter. She kind of thought it was like sending her daughter off and getting a dowry. Now, the mother did break the law and will go to prison. Um, but, it, but it, like, we're not talking about an evil mother who wants to make money from her child. That's one positive thing about working in Vietnam, that that the family culture generally is very protective. So what are the, some of the common misconceptions in Vietnamese society about human trafficking and people who are trafficked? Well, you know, that, that idea that it's all family members trafficking their own, we hear that a lot. And, and it, it's not backed up by the data at all. But I think when it does happen, uh, it's quite shocking and kind of makes the headlines. Right, and, yeah. and so needs a lot of people to think that's what it is. And another misconception is that, you know, the, the women who get trafficked, for example, that, that they actually wanted to travel and do sex work or they, they wanted to go and marry a man in China and then they changed their mind. And, and it can seem like that because, like I said earlier, sometimes these victims get on the bus willingly and travel, sometimes on their own. The trafficker might not even be with them. The trafficker might just be communicating by social media. So it looks like the person is going 
completely of their own will. But the reality is that they, they're on that bus thinking, I'm heading off for a job. Wow. Or, or, or I'm going to meet some lovely man who I've been in touch with over social media for, for a year, and, and he's been sending me money to help me pay my debts. So I'm just going to go and, and have a date with this guy. There, there is a tendency to blame the victim, as, and I've got to say, as there is in every country. But, but gradually, you know, we can see through those misconceptions to the reality that, that people are being targeted and deceived. Yeah, well, I guess that's what makes it so difficult to eradicate, isn't it? It's just throughout, you know, the, the tactics that are used. It must be incredibly hard. Yeah. So, so you raise a good point there. People will often say to us, the solution to human trafficking is awareness raising. If you, if you have a look at the Blue Dragon website or through our social media, we don't talk about awareness raising at all. Everyone is aware of human trafficking. Right. Someone, you know, when they're being trafficked, they think, I'm going with a friend or I'm going to a job. So, so knowing about human trafficking doesn't help a whole lot. It, it can help a little bit. But people don't realize that they're being trafficked until it's too late because it's by deception. Um, and, and the other thing there about preventing it, we've, we've sometimes rescued people out of slavery who have said to us later, look, I, when I was being trafficked, I knew that it was risky. I knew that maybe I was being trafficked, but I had to give it a chance. In other words, wow. sometimes people are faced with a choice like, I can stay at home and my children will definitely starve, right? We've got nothing. Or I can go with this person who's offering me a job and maybe it's trafficking, but maybe it's not. And, and what if I say no and I've lost the only chance I have to look after my family? That's I see, the decision. Yeah. And they're Some willing to take the risk. A lot of times. Even though they are aware, yeah. Wow. And, and so that gets back to your question before about eradicating poverty, that when people have opportunities, they don't have to say yes to that offer. They can say, no, I'm fine because I have some pigs, right, or I have some right. chickens and I can right. make enough money at home. Um, and, and so that's why practical assistance is really vital to ending this. So uh, for people like me who live here or people who are traveling, what sort of things should we look out for in Vietnam that may indicate signs of human trafficking? I guess that if you think of human trafficking as, uh, I, heard, I heard somebody recently call it this, and I'm going to use their words, migration that has gone wrong. So when someone is moving out of home, when someone is heading off for a job offer, heading off with a friend, and it seems a little bit too good to be true, yep. it probably is. So the signs really are when you know someone is heading off for an opportunity with someone they've never met or someone they've only recently met, someone they've been contacted over social media by, that they're all big red flags. Someone offering to, to give you a job and then saying, and look, just give me your, you know, your ID papers or your passport. I'll hang on to them for you. Big red flag. They're the main things to look out for. So if you have a friend who is saying, I'm, you know, I'm heading off to this other province where I've never been before, 
for a job with someone I've never met before, there's a really good chance they're being trafficked. And what about, um, you know, we often see young children on street corners, you know, uh, selling raffle tickets or whatever it is. Um, And down in the south here, typically they may be Cambodian or from a Khmer background. Um, You know, what should we do as observers of this? You know, when we pull up at the traffic lights, should we engage or not? Or, you know, how do we approach it? And should we be reporting these sorts of things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a tough thing to do. And, you know, I, I founded an NGO, right? So I should have an answer to this question and, and I should be saying to you, you know, never, never kind of give those kids money, don't buy from street kids because it's just encouraging the situation. But you know what? We are human beings yep. and, and sometimes you see a kid there and you think I want to give them some money and you know what? Maybe, maybe you should just do that. You, you can't, it's so hard to make the right decision in every case. And also, you shouldn't feel like the burden is always on you to do the absolutely right thing for every person you see. What you can do, though, as a, as a citizen, when you see kids who are in that kind of situation, is report. Um, Vietnam has a child helpline. Telephone number is 111. That helps, actually, if a Vietnamese speaker makes that call um, or look for NGOs that are in that area, send them a message. If, if you're able to let uh, every ward should have like a, a, a social worker, a government appointed social worker, often we foreigners find that system hard to navigate. Yes. Yep. But if you have a Vietnamese friends and ask them to call 111, for example. So whether or not you're actually going to buy the, 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 the sweets, the, the candy from that child or, or, or give the, the beggar some money. Follow your human instincts. In the long run, it's probably better to not, but I know it can be really hard in the instant to, to always say no. Yeah, it is. But it's it's very, really very hard to look away. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the theory and the practice don't always meet so yeah. well, but then let someone know who can do something. Right. Because that's the important thing, right? If you if you give a, a, a person on the street five dollars every day, you know they're still going to be on the street. So what what I always think of is what what can I do that will actually change this person's situation? So giving them some money right there and then, maybe you need to do that, maybe not. But either way, tomorrow their life is not different. That's where you need services run by the government or run by NGOs. To, to change people's situation. So how can we, as either citizens of Vietnam or travellers or visitors to Vietnam, help you out, help Blue Dragon out? Ah, well, that's a question I like to be asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, head over to the website, bluedragon.org. You can certainly donate online there. We have things like in, in September, we have a, an annual walk where we ask people around the world to to take part, you know, you sign up, you, you do a walk of any distance and ask your friends to sponsor you. So those sorts of things help out. Make sure you're following us on, you know, LinkedIn and, and uh, Facebook and Instagram. The blog's and, e- and excellent, by the way. I've, I've read a lot of that. Look, we, we 
really placed a lot of value in sharing stories because we know that we, we want the world to understand what's happening here to, to people. Um, and, and so we look for those opportunities on, on our social media to share real everyday stories. I, I keep a blog as well uh, called lifeisalongstory.com where, where each week I, I try to share a story. Stories have changed my life, you know, by, by reading, by understanding the world. So I, I think if, if someone is listening to this and it's the first time they've even encountered Blue Dragon, what I would say is go and have a look at those stories um, be, because that's, that's where you really get to the heart of yep. what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. And then if you're inspired to take action, please do. Yeah, the, the blog's amazing and um, I like how you write as well. You get straight to the point and it's got the, the, the people who you've helped as you know central to the story as well so it's, it's really interesting heartbreaking but uplifting at the same time there's always hope that that's one of the the messages of our work you know there's a lot of bad in the world there's a lot of terrible things that happen but but there's always hope that things can get better and for all of the bad there's always so much good so never never get stuck looking at the darkness you know keep keep looking for the light that, and that's the message that you'll see in all of our stories, in all of our social right. media. Keep looking Yeah, really interesting. Um, Michael, thank you again for chatting to me today. You're really busy, so I better let you go. <laughs> Look, the work you and Blue Dragon are doing is amazing, and you're, you're probably um, not really going to, uh, or you might be a little bit shy about this, but as a fellow Aussie, it makes me proud that another Aussie is doing this. You know, sometimes we hear a lot of sort of negative stuff in the expat community. So um, it's an honour to have you on the podcast. Oh, good. Yeah. Matt, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, let's talk again. Cheers. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks, Michael. Good on you, Matt. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please give it a like, share and comment and feel free to ask any questions related to Vietnam and the region on the Bureau Asia's social media channels at the Bureau Asia and I'll do my best to answer them. Mel, as usual, thanks for joining me again. Any plans for the coming week? Uh, well, thank you for having me again. And as for the plans for the coming week and the whole of April, April 18 is Vietnam's Day for People with Disabilities. Oh, nice. And there's a lot of events to commemorate it. And if any of our avid listeners are interested, head over to my LinkedIn account. That's my day job <laughs> to see what events I'm attending and conducting. And maybe if something interests you, please join in. Okay, nice. Yes, something close to our hearts, Mel, um, these days for people with disabilities. So. That's it for this episode. Don't forget to send in your comments and questions before our next episode so we can comment and answer to the best of our ability. Which reminds me, you'll have to wait a couple of weeks for the next episode as I'll be in Vungtau next weekend, catching up with some old friends and shooting the cool sea breeze. Until then, take care and stay safe. This is Matt Cowan. And Melanie Kasul. Enjoy your week wherever you are.